Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Oh, there is that music. Indeed, it is. What, two minutes past nine o'clock? You're on 3 R. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxhall. I'm Dr. Beach. Dr. Beach, welcome back into the studio. Dr. Boxhall. You know, and I've got to say, you know, the studio, of course, you know, we've been away over summer. Studio hasn't been used. The button's rusty. So sorry about that dead air. But Timothy timed it beautifully between our show and his right on the second. And then I did. And press the right button. I'd, I'd, I'd like to take the blame for that, but I can't because I'm on the wrong side of the desk. <laughs> yes, you me- you yes. mentioned Timothy. Timothy. Oh, Timothy how do we thank him? Uh, thank you for. Um, yeah, like how do we thank hours. him? He's um, he is a national treasure. He's um, be actually. Can I just before we go to summer? Thank yous. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of national treasures. Triple R has three more. Phoebe Squared, Kath Letch, former station manager. And Twang, and Denise, the, 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 the Twang lady. Denise Highland, isn't that sensational? <laughs> That's what they said to me, we gong you Dame Twang lady. Dame Twang lady. Isn't that That's sensational? Right. So congratulations to, um, to those three beautiful women. Unbelievable. It's fantastic. It's so good for community radio. It's great for um, the nation in our national honours that people who have done, gone above and beyond... For many, many years, uh, given those gongs. That's anyway, right. um, and, and also a huge thank you to Andrew and AJ for um, yeah for covering for us while we've been um, on lilos over the summer. Oh, were you on a lilo? I was on a boogie board, but yeah. Uh, Andrew and AJ, a, a sporting discussion. Yes, uh, many of you will have listened to that. Yeah, um, good to hear. Enjoyed sport, it. So, um, huge thank you to those two. Uh, at lilo, I was on lilo uh, zero time over the summer. Um, <laughs> well, you know why I think that's true. Because I don't know that you can buy them anymore. I, 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 and I certainly would not go out and buy one. <laughs> Bit of landfill. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me started. Hey, speaking of over summer, we are going to um, talk about that. Cara's going to join us. Our intrepid dive reporter is going to join us in, um, a bit after 10 past. And we're just going to reflect, the three of us, reflect on summer. Yeah. The so highs It's, it's always, lows, it's always good to, to step back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have a reflection. But the... Um, I'll get you to write an essay. Submit. Summer was fun. Mm. Discuss. Yeah. Um, the um, speaking of, and then of course we'll, 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 talk, we'll talk a bit about what's on the rest of the show. The rest of the show, um, I was in the states late last year when I spoke to you actually, yeah. and yep. um, I spoke to a bunch of interesting people. And one story I could not not record, and that was about Burmese pythons mm. that have taken over the Everglades. <laughs> like, I genuinely, it's, it's shocking from a biodiversity perspective, but it's kind of weird in a story perspective. Everglades, so anyway. Ever, Everglades in, um, on the other, you were in oh, California, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, Ever, but yeah. in Florida. And one of the women who's involved in the kind of control programs, who runs the control programs up and down the state of Florida, um, Jessica Spencer, we had a big conversation about it. So we'll play that halfway and through so the she, show. she wrestles pythons. Just wait and see. Okay. You're right. not going to believe it, actually. So look forward to that immensely. Uh, and then I'm going to... Um, I, I'm going to jump into the literature. That's what I like to do mm. with Life's a Beach. Um, I've been mm. given... You know, I, I feel an enormous gratitude that I get 10, maybe 11 minutes sometimes on the show. To, sometimes to four. But sometimes yeah, yeah. four, depending <laughs> on what's happening, but push to the end. Um, but yeah, this cover of nature, otter, 
on the oh. front. We all love we all love otters. Oh, sea otters. You can't love that. So this is a we we don't have sea otters here, so this is another American story, but I think mm. that's okay because it's such a fascinating one how sea otters um, are helping stop erosion in California. Yeah, I'm really and interested to hear about this. How do they do yeah. that? They've got, they got little spades, they've got, you know, they've got <laughs> trowels, concrete, mud, all of that, but um, we shall find out. Um, we, we shall find out. Um, now, this is our... Um, 1,206th show mm-hmm. of Radio Marinara. We are entering the 28th year of the program being on air, and which you, is pretty have remarkable. You, have you been on it since I, I, well, nearly the beginning? Uh, yes, no, it, on it since the start, but not every show. Well, no, no, no one's no, done no. every show. No, 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 no. But, but you're right. Yeah, you're, you've been... Yeah, no, they're true. Me and Dave and Stu. Sorry, Tim and and Dave. Way back then. Way back then. And Mel and Melanie. For me, it's been a paltry 15 years. Yes, yes, yes. It's only mere mere 15. And Brian, about a mere 25. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and of course, but speaking of, so Bron does say hello to everybody. She's um, to having the week off and is in next week. Bron and Fum are um, taking you through the Marinara uh, uh, rock pool next week. Hey, so weather. Uh, weather, uh, it's going to be hot, sunny, hot, yeah, no. 38 degrees today, um, beautiful um, light winds out there, so if you've got a chance to get up early and get out um, to anywhere nearby you, it might be the bay, it might be Ocean Beach, get out there now, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to get windy after lunchtime, well, northerly winds, mm. um, and it's going to get hotter. It's going to be a maximum of 38 today, uh, but then, bang, yes. straight down to 22 degrees tomorrow. What? Well, is there a big one of those old-fashioned cool changes that we used to get before we had climate change running everything? Yeah, well, Seriously? Yeah, it's oh, going to happen. I haven't had one of them for years. Later today, I can tell you exactly when that's predicted. Um, that'll be happening. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to happen during the evening, during the night. Uh, it's not so, going to cool. It's going to be about 24, 23 overnight. And then, and then just get down to at seven, yeah, 7 in the morning. It's going to be 19 degrees. Huh. And then get up to poultry 22 tomorrow. Huh. And it's going to stay like that for the rest of the week for the foreseeable future. 22 degrees, no rain. Tuesday, Wednesday, 22. Thursday, 23. Friday, 23. And at the moment, we're looking back. We're looking at 22 for next oh, Saturday. If it's kind of a nice, mild week. It's, it sure is. It's, I mean, and, and look at it. Yesterday, 31, 32. Yeah, yeah. Today, Sunday, 38. Get to the beach. It's, um, it's beautiful. It's, it's Camelot here. <laughs> um, and we do. We eat ham and spam a lot. That's right. And if you're heading out on the water, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides. It's going to be a low tide at a little bit after 12.30 at Point Lonsdale at our heads. So I'm going to head down to... Um, I'm heading... To the coast this afternoon. Are you? I want, I want to jump in a rock pool. Right, because I was wondering, because for those who can't see what happened, Dr. Beach just did a, um, a movement in the studio, and I was trying to work out, was that skiing, long jumping, or swimming it's, it's, in a rock pool? It's diving into a rock pool. <laughs> I was pool. diving, diving into, into a rock, into a rock pool. pool. It was fantastic. It was the universal symbol, obviously, for diving into a rock pool, but I missed that memo. That's right. yes. You are on Radio Marinara. It's nine minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. Um, that's probably enough waffle from us, isn't it? I think it is. We're going to talk about stuff that stood out for us over the summer. Um, and you can text in, actually. We'd love to hear. Like, just text us something that really, like, the best thing that happened, the thing, the coolest thing you saw or the best thing you did. Text in um, <clears throat> while we're playing this music and we'll read some out. By the way, if you don't know that text number, it is 0466 98 1027. 
0466981027. That was my best um, TV announcement. It, it, it was very good. Uh, but, uh, cool things over the summer. Uh, during the week, friends of mine saw um, seals off Black Arrow Pier. Oh, very cool a thing. A seal. Uh, hey. that, very, yeah, very pleasant. Uh, breaking news from, breaking um, news. from our um, Antarctic correspondent, uh, that being Cliff Davis from Davis Station. Um, it is – so this is the weather report, which we get. We get beamed directly to yeah, us here from, yep. uh, from Antarctica to Triple R. Yeah, directly yeah. in over direct, the – there's a direct line. To East Brunswick from yeah, yeah, Davis yeah, Station. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's air temperature currently minus 1.8 <laughs> degrees with a wind chill of – Minus ten. Oh. Uh, that's so. Uh, yeah, you might think it's windy, and it is indeed twenty nine. If, if you're there, you might think there it's at windy. the moment. Um, yeah, cold and cold and Davis Station. Cold and windy at Davis Station, which is in sharp contrast to East Brunswick at the moment yes. and Melbourne today, which is going to hit thirty seven. Hey, be um, how was your summer? We had a great summer, but I, I want to bring in Cara. Cara, we have sitting... Uh, you know, I'm going to say that you're in an exotic location, Cara, but you can tell us where you are. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, all, and good morning, Melbourne. <laughs> it's great to be back. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm sitting at Mount Martha um, Cliffs. We're just doing a bit of a clean-up after sort of the main summer holidays. So out on the kayaks and the sups and a bit of snorkelling. Nice. Hey, I bet the water's flat, calm, beautiful. It is here. It's beautiful. I bet. I bet. And we are going to have a chat about summer. And Dr. Beach just asked you and I, how did our summers go? How did yours go? Oh, look, mine started early because I was up north. So I had this great privilege to be up north where summer started months and months ago. And I got to scuba dive a lot of our marine protected areas, Julian Rocks, um, Shell Harbour, Stradbroke Island. And it was was bliss. It was bliss. (laughs) Stop it. You know, you know, you should have started first. Um, oh, no, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, yeah. How do we stop that? That? Yeah. <laughs> that is sensational, Carol. Can I ask before I go to you, um, uh, Dr. Beach, what was the best thing that you saw in uh, one of those dives? Or the most kind of memorable, the kind of, oh, this is going to define this summer. I loved, because I got to spend a bit of time there, I was sort of looking at, Um, marine protected areas and so some of those little places julian rocks um stradbroke island the leopard shark was Ah. i I, I cried oh wow (laughs) just just sitting there i'm just you know oh that is sensational creatures such beautiful creatures that is sensational and what about you dr beach i got got in the i actually got in the one of my resolutions for this year yeah. is to spend more time in the water yes. and in particular have, have my face with a mask on so I can so see. actual have, face. Have, have <laughs> my actual face, face mask. Yeah. Maybe I should have added that. I'd like to go do more snorkeling. Uh, I, d- I did it twice. Oh, that's sensational. Getting back, uh, rejuvenating my enthusiasm for, well, I've never lost my enthusiasm no, for true. the underwater world, but getting in there and having a look-see myself. Uh, did and that. what stood out? Uh, what stood out... Um, you hadn't lost it. It's like getting off on a bike, isn't it? Had a beautiful... No, of course not. Yeah, yeah. Haven't, haven't you haven't lost boom. it. You just yeah. go straight yeah. in, yeah. mask on, off you go. Haven't put a tank on my back for about three re- three decades. But, right. Um, yeah. But happy, happy with the snorkeling. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in my elderly years. <laughs> Vesperton years. Um, Wye River. Go down there a lot. Mm. We're lucky enough to spend a week down there every year. Yeah. Bunch of mates. And you got Which in. I got, that's well, where you well, got We in. had a couple of really calm days. I was going to so, say. So off to the right. Mm. If you know why, but yeah, the headland mm. jumped in there. Um, lots of devilliot, lots of bull kelp, um, fish, beautiful, absolutely stunning. 
lots of lovely things there. Really oh, enjoyed fantastic. it very much. And just last week, went down to Ricketts Point, decided to keep the old um, snorkeling going. Jumped in at Ricketts Point. That was quite lovely. Lots of codium, lots of... Um, the green, green thing. The, the green yeah. thing. Yeah, that looks almost a bit sort of invasive, and I'm sure it is. I want to speak to a codium expert about right. that. But, but also saw um, yeah, quite a few fish, a couple of nice snapper. Oh, lovely. As my brother described Inside them, pan-sized the snapper. I thought that's like just about eating. It's like calling something bait fish. It's just like, it's just like they're not bait. What would their mothers call them? Yeah, probably Allison. Yeah. You know, if that something was their like name. That. But in, a, in addition to the snapper, um, yep. some... Yeah, flat things on the ground. So stingarees. There's lots of different stingarees. I can't. I can't tell the difference between a, um, you know, is a sparsely spotted stingaree or a spotted stingaree, or <laughs> it's a common stingaree, or there's the banded stingaree. All As of those. you do. As you do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that was actually one of my my, my highlights. Was um, I mean, actually, my summer started in the snow in the northern hemisphere, walking mm. through that, but then it got it got warm. But I yeah, I got away for a couple of weeks, and the standout thing for me actually was some was a couple. Bit a dusk snorkel actually we went did a bit you know in the water most almost every day but the there was a dusk snorkel where we came across the um Oh, now I always get them muddled up. They're sometimes called guitar sharks, but they're actually a ray. Um, in the and I oh, know. And where, where was this? This is in southern New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just and gorse, gore, gorgeous. Loads of them all bundled on top of each other. Huh. You know, just kind of like right at dusk. Essentially, they've come in. You know, out of the you know looking for safety overnight into the shallower waters, sticking themselves into the kind of um, under the sand, just lying there. Um, just brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It, it is such a beautiful thing to do. And um, to do that. I got, I got. I mean, we're talking about wonderful things over summer. Um, here, just you know, our reflections. I, I do want to just introduce um, perhaps a, a sadder tone. There were a lot of drownings over summer that really stood out to like, me yeah, as a, a bad summer for that. And I, I don't and, know. And, and even yesterday, um, oh, a couple of very unfortunate incidents. Um, a diver off um, Rye Pier, I think it was, and a boat flipped over down near Bowen Heads. And then, of course, the, the group of four people that oh, drowned off um, Phillip Island at, a, at quite a, um, a dangerous swimming spot. Oh, I know. Been this labelled. And, and just uh, while we were on there, I just noticed yesterday that Squeaky Beach mm-hmm. at uh, Wilson's Promontory has been named by one person. Um, uh, Let's not best, name the person, but... Best beach in Australia. Well, it's, it's Australia's beach ambassador, Brad Farmer, according to the ABC, oh. uh, who was in, uh, instrumental in the formation of Coast Care and Coast yeah. Care to the Senate. Squeaky Beach, any of, any of the listeners who have been down to Wilson's Promontory know Squeaky Beach. It is indeed a beautiful beach. Um, it's wonderful. But yeah, I'm not tricky. sure that I'd swim there, It's though. a little bit tricky to swim at. It's, of course, not patrolled. Um, no. Well, you've got to... So I, I worry a little bit, like, with, you know, saying... People read this and it's go, definitely oh, squeaky beach, let's go there. Yeah, Cara, sorry. It's, oh, I was just going to say, it's definitely, you know, everyone should know the weather apps and really know the conditions when mm. you're going out. Get to know Windy Willie, talk to the locals, you know. It's such a great way to learn the conditions of where you are if you're not a local. I think that's absolutely true because I think that that's the critical missing peach. Like we, we just have a conversation. Like as soon as I heard where that devastating tragedy happened the other week with those four people, mm-hmm. and as soon as I heard where it was, I thought, oh, crikey, I'm not sure that I would swim there under v- almost all conditions. Um, yeah, same. And, and, and squeaky. You know, and that's only because I know that beach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and... and <clears throat> 
I think that that advice, Cara, is absolutely true. It's, you know, like if no one else is there or if you see someone going in, you know, like and you think, oh, maybe no one's here. It's not patrolled. Maybe there's actually something I need to know. Just grab a local and ask them. Yeah, and I think there's even a new app, which is Patrolled Beaches Australia. Ah. So I used that when I was up north a little bit just to find where the patrolled beaches are to know that I was safe swimming by myself. That's a great idea. It certainly is. And what, what's, what's also been highlighted in the media a little bit is how what, what a role that other people who are at the beach um, play in rescuing. I'm thinking in particular yes. surfers. Yep. People who are you know, strong swimmers out there, they've got boards, they can rescue people with boards. Uh, but how much some people rely would be you know, Many of us may rely on them. What a, what a wonderful job they do. So, you know, round of applause. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I, um, um, it, it, it is one of those things that really stood out for me over summer. And I, I did, there's been some research done, I, and I'm going to get the university wrong. Could have been RMIT, and I apologise. Um, but, but some social research into particularly people who are newer to the country, who've migrated from somewhere else where there hasn't necessarily been a kind of big... Co- they're not from the coast or they're not, they don't have necessarily a coastal background or, or even can swim, and about the message that the flags send. And some people thought, because the message is swim between the flags, if you're not swimming, i.e. playing, you're meant to go outside the flags. And so, you know, like it's just sometimes it's that little stuff when maybe English is not your first language and you're not, you know, you're taking a literal definition of swim. And so anyway, these researchers suggested it's a, it's a simple change in language to say, call it stay between the flags. You know, yeah. just and you, you kind of go, wow, you never think of that. You know, the kind of messages that get sent um, by the standard stuff that we always think about. Anyway, yeah, very sad. Be careful. Um, Cara, dive. Diving. What's dive the dive? We're, we're going to segue through. Dive, yeah, dive yeah. report. Highlights for you. Um, the diving's been, well, the weather's been funny, hasn't it, this summer? The wind's yes. sort of been changing around everywhere. But we've had, I've had quite a few good dives um, yesterday, not so great. <laughs> Milky over at Flinders. Um, but yes, I mean, if you're going to get out there, you know, as we just said, like really going forward into February, really know the conditions and dive to where's great, you know, like you want a good dive with great visibility. There's so much stuff on social media now to tell you, you know, where to dive if you don't know those apps, but get to know the Willy app, the Windy app and, you know, check the best place because you're going to have the best dive, obviously. <laughs> I absolutely. Now, where would you say in the next, where would you just kind of pick in the next week? Because it does look like it's going to be kind of calmish for part of it. Well, I think the car park's already full here. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people have got here before the 38 degrees. Um, but definitely Blagari, I think, is probably the peak, would have been the peak this morning. Um, but it looks like it's clearing up later in the week, doesn't it? So if anyone can get out for a cheeky sort of after work or mid, you know, midweek dive, um, you know, uh, I think midweek is the go. Brilliant. Hey, now this year we're going to catch up with you about monthly, I think. Yes. Um, yes. What, just do maybe, are you, do you want to tell us roughly what you're doing? Um, I'm just, I just am travelling around the Great Southern Reef. I really enjoy nice. our Great Southern Reef and I want to highlight a little bit more and show people some places where you can drive and dive or snorkel Um throughout the Great Southern Reef. Let's just say that and listen for more. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you are literally, you know, for us, of course, this is just for radio, you're going to go every month to a new part of the Great Southern Reef, anywhere along the, and tell us about it. I love it. Cara, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Let's get you back. Have a good see you, Sunday. Cara. Enjoy your week. See ya. <laughs> Bye.
Bye. She's already out the door and off onto the um, into the onto well, the as stand-up she should be because Triple you know. R pays her large to go out diving. <laughs> she gets, she gets an enormous salary to do this full time and report. I should to give us. you right a reply on yeah, that, Cara. Right? That, 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 <laughs> Doctor Beach has bespoke you. That's rubbish. I do, I do it for the love. I do it for the love. <laughs> See you, Cara. Sensational. Hey, um, uh, we have got. Um, there's a couple of messages coming. Um, in fact, our our intrepid distance. Dick Williams has texted in, shout out to the hundred or so swimmers who are doing the rip swing next Saturday. On the 10th of February, he's about to hit the water at Silver Leaves himself. Doc, and then, Dr. Williams, hello. And another, oh, I didn't leave their name anyway. Another one, someone's, another listener's about to take the family for a snorkel at Flinders Pier. Go the Weedies. Go the Weedies. There's Go Weedies, the Weedies down there. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. You are on Radio Marinara. We're going to play a quick message and then we're going to talk about pythons. Burmese type. In, yeah, the Burmese type in Florida. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Indeed, you are on through Triple R. It is just past the hour of 9.30. There are 29 and a half minutes to the doctor's... Uh. And I am, um, well, I'm, I'm Dr. Beach and you're, you're Dr. Boxer. You're, you're, you're Anthony Boxer. That's very true. We are other, we are do- but I mean the medical doctors, not the doctors of philosophy. Yes. As you and I are. We're so um, philosophical. Hey, when I was in the States, I, I, I caught up with a bunch of people doing a bunch of very interesting things with invasive species. And one that stood out was Burmese pythons in Florida. I've heard a little I, bit about I, this. I blow your mind. So... I co- grabbed, and uh, I won't. Disc- she's, I'll get her to introduce herself, Jessica, mm-hmm. um, and you'll see she's done a lot of really interesting stuff. And then I asked her a bunch of things about pythons and the Everglades. So we're going to play this um, right through uh, uh, Jessica Spencer, who starts by introducing herself. Hi, this is Jessica Spencer. I live in Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm involved with a lot of work with Everglades restoration, as well as uh, being the co-chair for one of the cooperative invasive species management areas in North Florida. I'm also a member of the Everglades cooperative invasive species management area down in South Florida. So I'm very involved with invasive species issues throughout the state of Florida. Welcome, Jessica. Welcome to Radio Marinara. Now, we're going to talk about an invasive species that grabbed my attention in the Everglades, and it's the Burmese python. But before we get into that, let's talk about the Everglades, because I think a lot of our listeners won't know too much about the Everglades, other than they're wet. Where are they? What's it like? How far does it extend in Florida? So the Everglades actually starts up by um, Orlando, so central Florida, and um, all of the water that, you know, kind of comes down as rainfall, it sort of drains down south through the Kissimmee River into Lake Okeechobee, and then originally, before there was a berm put around it, Lake Okeechobee would... overflow um, and sort of sheet flow down through the rest of the tip of South Florida to Florida Bay and that quote unquote river of grass is what is known as the Everglades. Yeah and so let's talk about the river of grass so it's not just open water I mean because it's a lot of Florida is, is the Everglades but it's not open water it's actually a lot of vegetation is that right? 
Yes, so there's um, there's definitely some pockets of open water areas, but there's also, you know, a ton of 10-foot-tall sawgrass wow. that, you know, grows there. Um, there's also some little bits of tree islands, which are just slightly more elevated, so some of the trees can actually get established there, and those provide very important habitats for, you know, some of the deer and different species that we have that, you know, need somewhere to get up and out of the water during high water events. And, and it goes right out to the sea. So, you know, there's brackish parts of the Everglades as well, right to the coast and out into the bay. Yep. So that water does eventually, you know, trickle its way down to the the Florida Bay, um, which is kind of the water body between the Florida Keys and the southern tip of the, the mainland. And um, so there are a lot of brackish habitats. Um, as we've started to see sea levels rise, um, we've started seeing some of the mangroves, which are, you know, brackish plants. They are moving further and further inland. So some of our cypress domes and things like that are getting displaced by some of the mangrove species. So there there are changes that are, you know, evident when you when you observe the area over long periods of time. So yeah. So, so let's get to the pythons. This is kind of, you know, it's remarkable to me to imagine that a python, because we have native pythons in Australia, but this is the Burmese python. Um, how on earth did they get to Florida? And then how did they get released into the Everglades? So they are a big part of the pet trade. Um, so here in the U.S., we uh, we sort of have a backwards way of regulating things. So um, instead of proving that things are not going to be harmful before you're allowed to bring them in, um, you're allowed to bring anything in, and it's only when the scientists can prove that it is going to be harmful that they put regulations on it. So um, Burmese pythons were a big part of the pet trade. Um, they, you know, get very large. They can grow over 20 feet. So 20 feet. So there are a lot of people that are not necessarily prepared to deal with an animal that's going to get to that size. So, so you, you you can get a pet that's 20 foot. So 20 feet, let's see in our language, that's at six meters. Yep. Goodness me. Okay. And so then what, did people just release them when they got too big or did some other stuff happen? So generally, you know, people are not going to buy a, you know, six meter python. They'll buy them when they're babies and they're only two feet, less than a meter long and um, much more manageable, but they do grow quickly. Uh, in the wild, we've seen them get up to six feet in the first year. So two meters in the first year. Um, but basically, you know, a lot of pet owners have decided they can't take care of it, but it is their pet, so they don't want to euthanize it. Um, so they think that they're doing it a favor by setting it free and releasing it out into the environment, but it's not native to our environment. And um, it's actually become a really big problem in the Everglades because they are a top predator down there. Um, but in addition to the people releasing them, you know, releasing pets, we also had a fairly large hurricane back in 1992. Hurricane Andrew was Category 5. It hit South Florida. And um, they know that there were some breeding facilities where they were breeding Burmese pythons that were hit. So it is likely that there was kind of a mass release event um, at that time. But they think that they were already established in the Everglades. 
Now, I know I'm kind of drawing attention to this extraordinary, you know, large snake, and I'm kind of possibly making a bit light of it, but it's a pretty serious um, impact these pythons have had in Florida, in the Everglades, right from the top to the bottom. Um, as I understand it, they've now even swum out into the ocean and got to the Florida Keys, so they even get into the island. And you said they're a top predator. Um, what's happened, um, you know, due to the pythons being there? So there's been a lot of research on these topics. Um, scientists have looked at, uh, you know, different types of serving for a lot of our native mammals. So um, they've documented some reductions in the mammal populations, um, 98% reduction in possums, 99% reduction in raccoons. Um, 99%? They, 99. So 1%, mm-hmm. you know, of the native raccoon population. And if you know anything about the U.S., raccoons are everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going in people's garbage. I mean, they're almost, you know, like a pest. So the fact that something that's so adaptable and so good at surviving is being wiped out, you know, is is really staggering. Um, you know, they've also seen reductions in foxes, um, any, any small to medium-sized mammals. They can't find any more marsh rabbits. So one of the kind of morbid jokes that we have is if you see marsh rabbits well then there probably aren't pythons there yet so so it's you know it's one of the animals that does tend to get picked off pretty effectively by the pythons but they'll also eat alligators (laughs) so that that is also well documented um you know it there are times where it's a battle to the death. So um, there's been uh, evidence. We had a contractor that was flying in a helicopter over the Everglades, and they came across this morbid scene of this giant python that had swallowed probably a six-foot alligator. And then somehow the python ruptured. So part of the alligator tail is sticking out of this dead floating python in the middle of the Everglades. So, again, pretty morbid. And that, you can search the Internet and find it pretty easily. So if anybody's (laughs) curious, um, it's out there. But It just goes to to show, I mean, I I don't think I will search that one, but it does go to show, I mean, they're pretty much eating anything. I mean, if they're taking on two-meter alligators, then they are genuinely kind of not worrying. It is eating. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, they'll they'll eat pretty much whatever they can fit in their mouths. And people, you know, get a little freaked out, you know, are they going to eat humans? Oh, I, I, yeah. mm-hmm. And the the general consensus is that due to our broad shoulders, it would be very difficult for them to swallow <laughs> an adult whole. Um, but that doesn't mean that they can't wrap around and suffocate you because oh, they are constrictors. Yeah. You know, it's not that you're dying from them swallowing you. They're going to kill you before they attempt that. So, and what about what about birds and offshore birds and seabirds? You know, is have they got out to you know offshore islands where there are you know because like um, like where I live, um, Florida has a lot of little offshore islands where you get these rookeries of different species. Have they gone out there? 
Yep, they've definitely gotten out to the islands. Um, there's been a lot of research done on the um, gut contents. So when they do find pythons, they will usually take them back to the lab. And there's been a lot of research to figure out what it is they're eating because we saw most of the mammals had, you know, been kind of wiped out. So what what are they eating now? So um, they've documented all kinds of different wading birds, um, you know, our roseate spoonbills, ibises, uh, you know, everything, even frigate birds, which are not known for even landing. You know, it's rare for them to even come down to the ground. So the fact that they're finding frigate bird, you know, uh, feathers and stuff in their gut, it's, it's pretty you know, pretty damning evidence that they're, they're all over the place. But, but there's, there's a researcher that works at Everglades National Park. She's a bird biologist and she has actually gone out to, you know, some of these rookery islands, like you were saying, just off the coast. So the snakes would have to actually swim Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. to that island. Um, and she was studying the nesting birds that were there in the rookery and she found a python curled up on one of the nests. So if you imagine, you know, all of these baby birds that are all in that same tree, if there's a python there, it can very quickly impact that entire generation. Wow. And is there anything you can do about them? Is there, are there, you know, alligators aren't going to fight them off, it sounds like. So are there, and there are no other predators, so are there ways to control them? Or is it a bit kind of just keep them in Florida or not let them expand elsewhere? <laughs> well, that's, that's all part of the strategy. Um, we actually have four different programs in the state of Florida um, for python uh, patrols. So there are people that are trained and they're paid an hourly rate. It's generally minimum wage for, you know, their survey time. But then if they find a python, for anything four feet and less, they get $50. And then it's an additional $25 for every foot over that. So the larger the snake, you know, the more the payout. Um, So there's, there's programs like that. But they're also required to track so they have a GPS unit with them, and they track their survey routes so that they, the biologists can see where they're going, you know, the areas that they're surveying. They've also tried to create some incentives, so some of the more difficult places to get to, they'll pay them a higher hourly rate to go to those sites because, you know, it's easy to go to the levees and places that are easy to get to, but um, they do want to incentivize some of the more challenging spots to get to. And, and so that gives you a sense of where they are. But are there control mechanisms? I mean, do you, what, do you hit them over the head with a shovel? Or, <laughs> I mean, what do you do? So um, they provide python capture training, oh. um, not just for the python patrol folks, but also for biologists that are going to be out in the field. And um, they teach us how to catch these large snakes with our bare hands. <laughs> um, you know, there's definitely some tools and tricks involved, but you are basically handling, you know, this large constrictor snake. Um, anything over 12 or 13 feet, they recommend you have a partner. Um, don't try to do that on your own. I would definitely re- recommend if you're a beginner, uh, always have some help. 
um, you don't want to get into a sticky situation out in the middle of the Everglades. Well, so there you have it, listeners. Don't try and tackle a python by yourself. Always <laughs> do it with a friend. Hey, look, um, in ser- seriously, though, go well, Jessica. That is an extraordinary story that, uh, you know, is not one that we've heard much of in Australia. Um, thank you for joining us this morning on Radio Marinara. Absolutely. Happy to help. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Indeed, you are on through Triple R and before those massages was um, Jessica Spencer from Florida, the control, Python control the, program. The, the, Deeply fascinating interview. Uh, First thing I've got to ask you, um, Anth, is have you done Python capture training? I have not. Jessica, off air, Jessica did tell me some more tricks about how you do this, but the one that just stood out for me was that if it's over four metres, make sure you have a friend. Yeah, that's right, 13, 13 feet if you, if you see a they're python. Not, they're also not, um, you know, like they're, they're, they're thick as well. You know, like it's not four metres of a tiny thin snake. It's four metres of a thing that's, you know, bigger than, you know, some a big thigh. Yeah. You know, the whole length. I mean, they just... I, I, I did find it reassuring, though, that because of our broad shoulders. <laughs> it's not going to swallow us, but it might it, it might wrap itself around us. And and and, and with it, alligators, I'd imagine like you know, alligators oh. like crocs do a death roll, yeah. don't they? So they do, do so, they yeah, inadvertently been, help the pythons? That's exactly right. Um, for those that, listeners that, you know, the way that crocodiles, they'll, they'll grab a prey and then death roll, so they spin to try and drown the prey. And, of course, alligators will grab the python, try and spin to death roll them. But, of course, what that does is just wrap the python around them more and the python are a constrictor. Python's going, thanks. So they go, yeah, cool, thanks, that was quick. And then they try and... <laughs> I just... And I know we laugh about it, but can you imagine a predator of that veracity? Now, that point of about possums, so they're opossums, the American possum, yes, and, uh, and, uh, um, and the raccoon. And they are, for those who have not been to the States, they are literally like just seagulls and rats. They're just free they're everywhere, freaking everywhere. And the fact that it has got raccoons down to 1% of their pre-Python numbers is extraordinary. You're on Radio Marinara. Thanks to the listeners who've um, texted and piped and rang in. It was Burmese pythons, just to be clear. Burmese pythons um, were the pythons that um, Jessica was talking about. And um, not our pythons that have gone over there, but Burmese ones. Burmese ones. And if you, if you Google Burmese pythons, which I just did to try and get, a, um, get an image, you can see some pretty <laughs> funny stuff. What, and what, that's scary stuff. Jai texted in and said, yeah, Burmese pythons equals cane toad, feral deer, feral horse, fire ant, kangaroo, etc. Uh, well, not kangaroos. Um, but problem solving in Australia. So yeah. there you go. It, it is. It's a, and, and, and they were a deliberate introduction, though. That's the weird thing. That's right. But, but, but how, how's the American policy? I mean, we, oh, <laughs> just, just let it all in it if it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Uh, uh, sp- speaking of America, I'm going to jump coasts. Yeah, okay. And talk about a paper which got the, um, a, a, which got the cover of Nature. Yeah. Yeah, big deal. It is a big deal. For scientists, For scientists, it's a huge deal. And it's a picture of a beautiful sea otter. California on its back munching a uh, munching a crab. Um, Best things, by the way, coolest things ever to dive with. <coughs> sea otters, 
because right. they come down, they're very inquisitive, and they're like little humans with little hands, and they grab things when you're working <laughs> on the bottom of the ocean and try and take your tools away. Because you've spent very time cool. in um, Central California, yeah, yeah. Santa Cruz, haven't you? You said, yeah. yeah, and that's where we spoke to you from. Um, and indeed, uh, that's where this this study was done at a place called Elkhorn Slough. Uh, Slough is S L O U G H, so it's pronounced um, as in as in through. Um, at sloughs are. Estuaries, estuaries, basically, estuaries, yeah, wetlands, wetlands. Yeah, wetlands, yeah. yeah. Um, this is a big one. Um, <laughs> it's a very big one, and it's uh, yeah, it had a lot of coastal erosion. Otters, we've talked about on the show before. Sea otters were hunted for their fur up until about 50, 60 years ago. And since that has stopped, they have thankfully come back. And we've seen all sorts of um, a number of notable um, effects of that mm. since the sea otters have come back. Um, number one, you get more kelp. Mm-hmm. Off, off the coast of California there. That's the giant kelp species of Macrocystis. Uh, because the sea otters, uh, what they do, one of their favourite diets, is um, sea urchins. Mm-hmm. And the sea urchins will munch the baby kelp um, if they let, you know, they let mm-hmm. go. A yeah, bit like yeah. Yeah, what happens here, yeah. around here. We've got sea urchins, which are long-spined sea urchins, which are munching baby kelp. And um, we're I know a lot of kelp. In no way are you suggesting we introduce sea otters, but no, still. we will not introduce <laughs> sea otters. It could be a Burmese python type thing. Yes. Uh, top predators. Yeah. So we know what, about those interactions. Otter, yeah, yeah. And, the, yeah. and there are other famous. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a bit of a preamble here, yeah. but, but we also we also have some data to show that when you reintroduce top predators back into an environment, they can help the environment in all sorts of ways. So, for example, again with America. Um, we have um, grey wolves, which have been reintroduced to Yellowstone National Park. There's a top predators that like to knock off elk and things like that. Mm-hmm. Elk, uh, big ungulates, uh, which do a lot of munching, big herbivores. Uh, when you bring down the number of elk, then you get more plants coming back, like willows and things like that, which keep together the waterways. Yeah. So you're reducing erosion there. And yeah. also there are knock-on effects like that. Things like beavers love to see yes. willows, so you get more beavers coming back. All of these things... A couple of studies which have indicated that introducing top predators have this effect, but there's been really no proof. It's all circumstantial evidence. Okay. What the people who have done this study, and I said they published it in Nature, this appeared in um, the February 1 issue, so the one which has just come out, and this is a group of people from um, Sonoma State University in California and also people from Santa Cruz, quite a few different authors, so you should be able to find it yourself. Um, and the paper is called Top Predator Recovery, Abates Geomorphic Decline of a Coastal Easter Ecosystem. What that means is when the otters come back, the sea otters come back, then you get recovery of the slough. And huh? what is happening is that you get so th- there's been erosion, yeah, um, over time with all sorts of things. Yeah. But we there are little crabs, yeah, which live in salt bush. Well, not salt bush, but sal- like in sal- the banks. Sal- salicornia, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. in the banks, yeah, around the banks. And there's a, a thing a species of salicornia, uh, which is samphire. Some of us might be familiar with right. a salt marsh plant. Yeah, um, and they have one species over there which holds the banks together. Okay, but these little crabs, what they like to do is to eat the roots. And the crabs are native. The crabs are native. Yeah, yeah they're, but they're, there's they're, more of them. Yeah, but there's yeah. But, but there's more of them because the otters <sighs> yeah. like to. Well, the otters. 
like to eat them. And when the otters were knocked off, when there were no there were otters, more crabs. there were more crabs. And then so, less and, of and, the plant. So the crabs <gasps> are eating the plant, are eating the roots, less of the plant. Therefore, you get less of this plant holding the banks together. This was all circumstantial evidence until yeah. these people came along and they did a controlled experiment, as yeah. scientists love to do if they can. Uh, so what they did, they had exclusion zones where they would keep the otters away from right. particular areas. So just put a little fence around there and mm-hmm. see what happens. Um, they monitored this for three years. So that, that's quite a long time yeah. you know, for an ecological study to be able to get these data for three years. And they were very... They were able to show very clearly that in the exclusion zones where you have no otters, um, that you have more crabs, less of this salicornia, of this samphire yeah, type yeah, thing, yeah. Um, and therefore a lot more erosion. Wow. They, would be able, they were able to combine those data with aerial photographs and historical records of numbers of sea otters there and showing that when you have more sea otters then you get less of this erosion, you have more of the, the banks returning as well as more of the... Um, that is super cool. It is, it, it is, it, it is really cool. It's oh, a, what like a really a cool real... piece of ecology to that, to that particular um, experiment. Wow. wow. To be able to bring all those things together. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, love that paper. There's another paper oh, which cool. um, piqued love my it. interest. Um, this one is in science, and this came out just before Christmas. Uh, and this is about the West Antarctic ice sheet. Oh, okay. We're, cliff- we're heading down near where Cliff is. Yeah, we are. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're going yep. to a very dramatically different place. The West yep. Antarctic ice sheet, many of you will um, have heard that we're worried about it um, disappearing. Yep. Uh, this might happen. It's been predicted that um, it, when it does go, if it does go, um, and it's going to lead to sea level rises of four to five metres. Yes. Uh, there was a guy called Mercer who in the past um, thought that the West Antarctic ice sheet had in fact disappeared during the last interglacial, so a warm period, yeah. uh, but we haven't had any data to prove that. Um, in comes the octopus, and there's people who did a very, <laughs> a very, a, a Turkhead's octopus, or it might be Turkey's octopus. Yeah. Um, this, these people looked at the genetics of the octopus, and what they showed was that in the Weddell Sea and the Ross Sea, so the Weddell Sea and the Ross Sea um, are separated by the West Antarctic ice sheet now. And in the past, they've been able to show, looking at the genetics of these two separate populations, yeah. that they were, in fact, together. Oh, wow! So Sometime evidence. in the past, around 120,000 years ago, and this coincides with the interglacial warming. So this is, this is data to show that, in fact, the West Antarctic ice sheet dis- did disappear then. So this is very interesting for us oh. going into a climate where we have um, warming, of course, and we worry about the disappearance of the West Antarctic ice sheet. That In fact, this has happened in the past. Um, Oh, we should talk about this more next time. It Let's is, get some somebody in. It is very interesting. That but, is so but, but, but the problem, and I just want to read out this, the problem perhaps runs even deeper than these specific scientific questions. And the challenge now is identifying a precise tipping point. Yeah. Because once we yep. get to this tipping yep. point, um, we won't know. It will have happened in the past. Let's get a glaciologist in to talk about yeah, that. Yeah. Tipping point will likely not be apparent until it has passed, and then we get four to five minutes increase. Studies like this, really fascinating, using genetics. The music is in the background. So sorry. We've got the doctors are lining up. Hey, thank you so much to Jessica Spencer. Thank you to Cara for joining us. Thanks to everyone that texted in. Um, Can't get to all the texts, unfortunately. Next week, Bron and Fun will be in with loads of amazing other stuff. Dr. Beach, last word to you. Um, Yeah, get out and enjoy the day. It's going to be 38 degrees. Hottest day since March of last year. Love it. Thank you. Bye.
Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.